If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Uh, I apologize for my hiatus. Thanks to everyone who has checked in by email to see if uh, this podcast is still happening. I have good news. My wife and I bought our first house together, and the delay was somewhat unexpected. I couldn't have predicted how much work it was going to be in transition to move everything into this house and to do the work that it takes to uh, put a house together, especially when there's some renovating to be done. <laughs> uh, if any of you have been homeowners, I'm sure you understand, but it is our first time, and my wife and I both grew up in apartments, and... Uh, our son, who's 14, has also moved around a lot and been in apartments. So it was, it was quite a momentous time for us. He was, uh, we were all quite emotional when we when we got the news that our offer was, was accepted, and uh, it's it's been a very big deal for us. So we're uh, finally in this sweet little house. I'm uh, starting to do my work from the new uh, space that was created. I'm out of the garage uh, and into the storage closet. <laughs> it's a pretty cool, pretty cool space that's been created. And uh, still have, have have all the same gear around me, have, have all the musical equipment. And um, my son has also started taking drum lessons, so it's, it's fun. We've got a nice little space here for ourselves. Anyway, I can go on and on about how sweet this transition has been for us. And uh, But I'm excited about the podcasts I have upcoming. I've got three recorded already, and, and the one I'm about to share with you today. These, uh, these took place at the end of last year, so... Uh, I, I don't think there's too many major events in the world that have changed the course of our of our <laughs> time since then. But uh, just in case, I wanted to give you a heads up. This uh, this next guest is someone I was connected to through uh, some uh, somebody that I've been working with for the last three years, and uh, this conversation is I think one of my favorites to date. In uh, 1989, Shelley Stanger Nelson. My next guest became the first blind registered nurse in the state of Minnesota. You may think, how, how could someone be a nurse and be blind? But this is really just the tip of the iceberg. She details her life in her new book, Your Story is Your Medicine, A Prescription for Healing in an Imperfect World. And there's so much insight in this book. It's it's beyond what anything I could have expected. It's an amazing read. Uh, as someone who's lost, lost her sight in her 20s, She's also been through multiple kidney transplants, a transplanted pancreas, three bouts of cancer, and even more shocking details, which I don't want to divulge, but we get into it in our conversation here. Um, it seems like too much for anyone to have had such hard luck in their life, but her perspective and the grace in which she goes through things through these tough times is really the thing that I think we can all glean some, some wisdom from. Uh, her story is an exploration really of what health is and an exploration of our true nature as beings on this planet 
and of this universe and of all all of our relationships. It's it's challenged me in, in many ways since since reading it to look closer at my life and how well I'm dealing with adversity, the inevitable adversity which we all would love to make go away, but there's only one way to the other side, and that's through it. She's recently started her own school here as well for integrative healing called Ruka Academy, which we get into in the conversation as well here in, in Minneapolis. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Shelly Stengel Nelson. Dealing with some of the biases that are going on in in and around uh, the promotion of health, we'll call it. I, I think there's there's some challenges with things that are going on between allopaths, integrative mm-hmm. health people, healers, and I want to I want to kind of get into the person's story a little bit more. And your story is obviously great. So okay, um, that's... I've been on both sides of the bed. That's my whole gig. You know? <laughs> yes, both sides of the bed. <laughs> Um, I and- actually did a le- I did a um, a conference on that. That was the title uh, from both sides of the bed and beyond. So I talked about the the nurse experience, the patient experience, and the healer spiritual um, experience. And I did it at the University of Minnesota um, Women's Heart Conference. Five hundred doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. They ate it up. They ate I it bet. Up. Yeah. And I think what happens, Jeremy, is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm credible, right? I have rates. So I have all these um, hats I've worn. So um, I'm able to bring that integrative place in and I can talk medicine and I can talk from a patient and I can talk from an integrative practitioner. So you can let me know what hat you want me to be in or I can wear all of them. I mean, I, I'd like to hear all of them, to be honest. Sure. Because yeah, that because... makes most sense to me. Yeah. And I think the the thing that I enjoyed so much about your story is is the 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 vulnerability that you really you know put out through the entire book. I'm sure there are, there were pieces in there that were you know far back and deep, and I, I you know sort of surprised at, at different points where I thought I was kind of I kind of had your story down. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, there's more. And then there's and then there's more. So like. You know, I, that's that's why that's why I think your your story is important and why I'd, I I wanted to talk to you. So just out of my own curiosity, can you think of a place where you thought you had me and then I gave you something that you didn't expect? I'm just curious. It, maybe you don't remember right now. Yeah, I mean there were there were a number of places to be honest. <laughs> I I just got done reading Trevor Noah's book. I don't know if you know who Trevor yeah. Noah is. Mm-hmm. Um, it had very similar aspects to your book, even though his story is obviously very different coming from uh, a white parent and a black parent in, in South Africa in, in the eighties, which you would think things would have been a little bit better place at that point. But, yeah, yeah. but, but there were times that just floored me with the experience and with, with your book, I think I, you know, I, I was, I was getting to the, to the point where I sort of understood your, your, you know, I, I've, I've worked with diabetics before, I started understanding what what was kind of having to happen throughout the course of your treatment, and then when you brought in your what when you were raped when you mm. were sixteen years old, yeah, and and really sort of pre everything spinning out of control, it was I don't know it just it, there was something about it that just shocked me. Yeah, yeah, I I I positioned that purposely in yeah. that place. Part of the reason, Jeremy, um, is because I think this is something that happens in healthcare. We think we have the picture, 
Yeah. And there's something more. And it might not even be happening today, right? But there's always another surprise in yeah. there, right? So I, I put it in there, in that place purposely, because it's my experience that yeah. I, as a practitioner and as a patient, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've, I've had the same experience. I mean, right. Do you, are you familiar with craniosacral? Oh, yeah. I, I figured. I've been looking for a good uh, practitioner. Do you know one? (laughs) (laughs) He's about 20 minutes from here. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been through so many different layers of the same thing, too, where I think, oh, this this thing that happened, you know, I've, I've kind of uncovered one layer after another of it. And thinking, you know, I finally feel like I have some resolve to it. Yeah. And there's always another aspect of it or another yeah. way in, you know. Or a whole other, like, w- what? You know, like, w- w- right? Yeah. Like a whole other thing that isn't maybe directly related, but is related. Yeah. You know, in some way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. yeah. So, so those, it, the interesting thing, um, talking to my daughter this morning about what I was going to she, she likes to kind of get a sense of what my day is. Sometimes. How old is she? So she's six. Oh, I love <laughs> so it. So we, we, we talk about these things sometimes. And, yeah. and I've actually, my son is 14 and I've had him on the podcast already. <laughs> so, oh, have you? Yeah. Oh, groovy. Um, and, I'd love to hear what the six-year-old has to say. Yeah, well, right? she, she's a little shyer than he is. He's, okay. he's kind of a stage guy already. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get her out eventually. But she, she, she was asking me, I, I think it started a couple of days ago. I, I told her that I was going to interview you. And she was, she was looking at the book and she, she was very curious to know about what it, what it's like to be blind Mm. and about your eyes. She really Mm. wanted to know about your eyes Mm -hmm. and what do your, what what do your eyes look like? Mm -hmm. Well, now you know. (laughs) And now I know. Now I can tell her. (laughs) We, we talked about it even from the point of view of sort of, we, we talked about the senses, I thought yeah. that was I thought that was kind of like a good yeah that's a, a great way to... a, a good way to kind of think about what you know what what kind of things we might experience with different senses uh-huh. and so you know she said she said things like just I think she she had this sense that does she she said does does she does she like music and I said I bet she likes music yeah because she's going okay she would listen more right she right. would hear more yeah so it's um, it's interesting because. Um, I crochet Hmm. and I haven't crocheted in a long, long time. And I picked something up just last week and I had a friend over today who does a lot of crocheting and she was helping me with a pattern and um, she was looking at the way I hold my work and she's like, that's the most unique way I've ever seen anybody hold their work. And I'm like, oh, really? I mean, I don't know. I just tell, she says, let me show you the way I hold it. And she's doing these things with my hand and how she wraps the yarn. And all of a sudden she got it. And she goes, oh, this isn't going to work for you. And I said, no, because I need that hand to see with. I need to, you know, she's, oh, she said, I'm using my eyes. You have to feel it precisely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, adaptation. I like to tell kids a lot that I see through my hands and it's interesting, Jeremy, because an important word for me and for my husband, too, is um, people will say to me, here, feel this. 
And it, it's just, ooh, it just kind of shivers me yeah. because I use a totally different sensing mechanism if you want me to feel something mm-hmm. than if you want me to look at something through my hands. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes and sense. And you would get that, right? And, and you, you had something in your book, too, about adaptation that it's that you kind of believe that it was, you know, that it's that 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 possibility of adaptation is is often the key to our happiness. I said that. Yeah. What did I say? This, Something oh, very similar yes. to that. <clears throat> um, oh, I can't find that right now, Jeremy. But yeah, it's the, our ability to um, part of our. Fr- it was something like a key to our suffering is our inability to accept our circumstances as they are. Yeah. And when we are willing to adapt to what is present. Um, instead of demanding, I use yeah. that word. Yeah. Um, people say, I don't demand. And it's like, oh, really? Let's talk about that, <laughs> you yeah. know? But instead of demanding that it be the way, I, you know, I wanted it or I want it to be. So, yeah. yeah. And I I, I mean, having having gone through, uh, I, I entered into this field with, uh, I wasn't planning on, on being in the health field. I was planning to be a, probably an English teacher or writing no, teacher. No, you were going to be a rock and roll star. You already told me. Yes, that, that, that too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so an English it was, teacher. It was, okay. it was clear the rock and roll star wasn't going to happen. I, okay, I, right. I, I lived out the archetype and then... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I but the, the, the back problem was sort of coinciding with the, the oh, rock and roll lifestyle. I did read this on your... Yes. And that, you know, I, I, I got to a point where I I wasn't getting any answers from the, you know the the network of people oh, yeah. that I had access to. Mm-hmm. I was also very young at the time, so I think mm-hmm. they kind of looked at me and said, "Oh, you know, you'll be fine. Just yeah. you know, rest it up." And sure. re- resting it wasn't making me better. If anything, it felt sometimes like it was getting worse. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know that that thing that you talked about of um, just just now, and and you you kind of went into this in more detail in the book, which is that we we kind of want to like cut off that that part of ourselves or we yes. don't want to we don't want to accept this this piece of us in fact we start to look at it negatively and, yes. and disassociate from it and 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 the turning point for you I, I felt you know in in that book was this this moment where you you suddenly owned this this disease that you had been living with and and the organs yeah. that, that that were replaced yeah there's so many times jeremy um through the course of my whole life about um being able to receive, okay, so getting two organs, three organs in my life, yeah. you know, taught me a lot about that. And it taught me a lot about my resistance to that or my my belief system around what that meant to receive, right? But the idea to, it came really fully into me, I think, was when I had the cancer, But the biggest point came in for me, Jeremy, was when I was diagnosed with the third type of cancer, the stage three aggressive lymphoma. Yeah. And um, I had people, you know, saying to me, I hate the cancer, you know, and the words we use about fighting with it and battling. Being hostile towards it. It was all hostility, right? Yeah. And I could feel my own self when I would hear that. And I would be like, you know, it's a little like jarring. And I, 
I was in a point of meditation. I talk about it in the book, mm -hmm. right? And I was in this point of meditation and a spirit just said to me, um, what is the healing force of the universe? And I said, love. And it just like, love, I need to love this to death. I need to love it to death. Yeah. And to, to accept that it was there, that it was mine and not somebody else's, right? And that my body felt energetically and physically and emotionally and spiritually better when I could shift from anger and hatred, which are real emotions that I did feel, mm -hmm. to um, compassion and loving. And honestly, um, my meditations were all about turning my cancer cells into little hearts. Mm. That's what I focused on. And I think it totally flies in the face of what most people would even consider doing. Yeah. And, and, I, th and I think this is one thing that I, I see a lot of biases with. And, you know, and I struggled with this myself, even with the term healer, you know, because. Oh, I, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like. Oh, yeah. To, to, we are all healers. You bet. We, we are all healing ourselves. And what does that mean? <clears throat> right. Yeah. And, and what does that mean? But. In, in terms of in terms of how, what we use for words or what we use for imagery, these are all kinds of hypnosis, really. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and what yeah. are we and, and how are we how are we using these pieces for ourselves? And I and I and people get very sort of freaked out by these ideas like hypnosis when we're doing it to ourselves all the time. Right. It's, it's just it's just a it's just a matter of of wording. Precisely, Jeremy. I mean, we're hypnotizing ourselves constantly, yeah. right? I mean, um, I'm fat. I'm stupid. I you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm whatever good enough, self I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm too much, you know, all of that. It's yeah. all self and it is hypnosis. And it's not, you know, sometimes people try to talk to me about, oh, you mean it's mind over matter? No, it's not about mind over matter. Yeah. It's about um, the amygdala and the mm. limbic brain yeah. and the energy system and the levels of the energy system and, you know, all of this stuff. And so, um, I just gave a lecture, actually a public lecture at the Minneapolis Women's Club last week. And I titled that lecture, Things I've Learned About Strife and Life. Lessons from a nurse, patient, healer, and everyday person. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are everyday people. Yeah. We might be doing extraordinary things, but we're everyday people. And one of the things I talked about is how our limiting beliefs, is what I call it, our limiting beliefs um, either um, sabotage us or catapult us. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't think about what their beliefs are, though. Yeah. I, I, I actually wrote down a quote related to this from your book that I, that I really liked. Oh, and it, I wrote it, something you like. That makes me happy. And, and, and I feel like it just relates to what I've been sort of, I mean, I feel like I've gone, I'm going through some sort of shift in my, in my own work and my own work with other people, um, but personally as well. And your, your quote was, um, it was, um, are you, are you able to see how your heritage, where you live and your real life experiences have set you, uh, 
have have set you, you up up for an exclu- to have exclusionary beliefs and opinions are you willing to become transparent and acknowledge these judgments and prejudices and there's something about that that i think is very important when it comes to both our our, our personal healing mm-hmm. and our social and cultural healing mm-hmm. in, in terms of how we relate to one another All right so um in in this lecture in this talk i just gave um i i helped people to understand the quote you just brought up so i spoke about um and when i teach i talk about so how do these limiting beliefs even start and they're very innocent so i use this example of you know you teach your children to protect themselves that strangers are dangerous mm-hmm. right that's easy. It's simple. Everybody talks about it, right? And so this is told to us as kids. And then as we mature and age, right, we hit more discernment and we're not as naive and, and that sort of thing. And we can feel more comfortable in a wider range of people. But then we go, well, like, who's a stranger, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's somebody who's maybe different than us, maybe acts differently, looks different, you know, all these factors, yeah. right? And so even though we as adults aren't going, you know, oh, I don't know that person. He's, he, she is scary and bad. There's this limiting belief that's set in our limbic system that says, strangers are dangerous and then we get the limiting belief that says um people different than me are dangerous right and it plays into our xenophobic nature and our biases and our bigotry um so on the social level right this is important for us to recognize that we're doing this on a health physical health level let me just talk about that. Yeah. Because, um, so I was on this uh, expedition <laughs> to become healthier, right? Yeah. Physically, like, I, it, here was my thing when I started my integrative um, practice and, and journey for, well, what am I going to do? I wanted something that actually did something, Jeremy. Yeah. You hear me, right? What what, what do you mean by did something? Um, I wanted to have better physical health. I wanted pain to go away. I wanted my blood sugars to be better. I wanted, you know, you see what I mean? I didn't, I I wasn't, at the moment, I wasn't, don't help me relax. (laughs) That's not, do you see what I'm saying? Okay. So, um, so I'm on this extensive journey and I, you know, did what I thought were, really high level kinds of things to cure diabetes, for example. And it was in my journey that I unveiled that I had a belief system, Jeremy, that said, I'm supposed to be sick. Mm. I feel that. Yeah. I was the sick one in our family. It felt normal to me. To be sick. And when I had that revelation, oh my, it was like I ran into a plate glass window, right? Oh, yeah, I can only imagine. It was. I thought, how, well, it's impossible. 
How will I ever become well if my belief says I'm the sick one? Yeah. It was the role I took on in my family, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I had to start on knitting that. Yeah. And boy, that's hard and long and deep, especially with my history, right? And it was... And where do you start? Oh, exactly. Where do you start? And I could tell you the one thing that I started with me was I stopped talking about my health when people asked me how I was. Mm. Do you see? Because it would be a normal... that. I've had three organ transplants, three bouts of cancer. I mean, it's long and it's yeah. long and it's long. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong any given day. Yeah. So when people say, how are you doing? Um, they mean, are your organs functioning, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, it, it, and I took the bait. So yeah. I started saying, oh, I'm great. You know, Brent and I are planning a trip. Yeah. Or I saw, you know, oh, I found a great new recipe. I thought, who would I be if I didn't have this health thing to talk about? Yeah. And then slowly over time, Jeremy, people quit yeah. associating sickness with Shelly. Yeah, I, I, and I, I've, I've worked with people who have gone through, I had this one client in particular who had been through um, four bouts of, of cancer, double mastectomy, other issues and complications as it relates to that, which I'm sure you understand well. I do. And and they decided upon this this course of of ongoing chemo, where she would where she would basically do chemo about once a month. Mm -hmm. And so every you know, it, depending on how our our appointment fell, you know, I I knew that she she could be anywhere in those four days post chemo, and you know, sometimes she could come on those days with the with the appointment, sometimes not. But she chose not to tell her children mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. She chose not to tell most of her close friends. Her, mm -hmm. her husband happened to be a doctor. Um, and she, you know, she just didn't want to be associated identified. with, yep. identified as, as, as a cancer survivor all the time. And that, 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 you know, that, that identity that becomes so strong, she said it, it even gets to the point where she just hated going into the clinic and, and ever, she started to real, realize that even, even the workers at the clinic started to just identify her right. you know in, in that it, way it's a natural evolution right. and what what i what i had to do jeremy for myself what i learned was you know the only one that was going to change this was me yeah you know um so now it there's a lot of medical stuff happening with me right now mm -hmm. my friends don't even know yeah sometimes my parents don't even know because yeah. I don't want that energy floating around in the room and in the universe and coming back toward me. Yeah. So that was a huge shift for me. And a huge, I myself believe that I saw physical changes that were health promoting that happened because I changed that belief mm -hmm. system and that thought process. Mm -hmm. And what do I mean? Um, I feel like I had more energy. Yeah. I feel like I had more optimism. I wasn't in denial. I mean, I knew what was going on. <laughs> right, right. You know, you know, and just a more robust feeling in myself. Yeah, and I, and I, you kind of get into that in the book, and I and I really related with my experience just in terms of that that energetic part of things, and. and you know, it's it's very it's very typical, and I've I've had a few bouts of of chronic back pain. 
I'm I'm pretty far past most of it at this point. I'll have mm-hmm. a tiniest flare up now, mm-hmm. but you know there were points where I would be you know laid up for a month, and you can you can get into you know mm-hmm. you, you you go deep inside and you go through a lot of different things in those time periods. And it's pretty typical, and I say, because I work with you know quite a few people with chronic back pain, or so you hear kinds of the things. same. You hear the same mm-hmm. patterns over and over again, mm-hmm. which is that it's it's depressing to be in that state to feel like you're not sure whether you're going to get better, and that there 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 is something that I feel like I've learned that's similar to what your technique might be, which is I I you know it's 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 probably an imagery technique of some sort, but I, I imagine. Or, or I, I just, I just think about my body as healthy. Absolutely. And I can, and I can almost like go from having like a lot of lower back and hip pain to re- believing that I, I just need to, I just need to walk right now. Yes. And as, as I start walking, I imagine my, my body doing it normally and it yes. just kind of goes away. So I know, completely <clears throat> concur. Yeah. And, and I have techniques and we, we learn things and ways to manage that, which are, which are part of that. But I, I do believe it starts with that that idea, that belief system of, of, of imagining yourself a certain way. And, and I think always, yeah, I concur. And I think always the balance is that line between denial and positivity. (laughs) Yeah, totally. No, really. I I agree with you. Right. So, you know, in denial, we refuse to even acknowledge that it's here in for me in positivity and in an, a limitless belief system i'll say something like uh well even though my chronic pain pain is flaring today i still have strength and stamina yeah even though x right yeah y is going to happen yeah yeah So how did you, how did you end up deciding you needed to write this down? <laughs> your story. I got cancer. Yeah. Um. So in the forward of the book, I talk about it, but mm-hmm. I'll say it. Um. I got this monumental, huge diagnosis called stage three aggressive B cell lymphoma. Yeah. And that's a big diagnosis for anybody. But for somebody with a compromised immune system because of my transplants, um, it's pretty scary mm-hmm. because cancer is a disease of the immunity, yeah. right? So I um, was laying in my bed one day, uh, <laughs> wondering how I was going to fit through this little eye of a needle, and I recollect... Um, a conversation I had with a shamanic practitioner about three months before that. And this shamanic practitioner, I was having conversation with her about something totally unrelated. And she said, I don't know why, but I'm supposed to tell you that your story is your medicine. Mm. I was like, oh, really? She said, it's time to write your story. And I I wanted to write a book for a long time. So like I hung up the phone and went, yeah, sure. Um, I can't write a book. I'm busy. I'm working three jobs. There's stuff happening to me. Goodbye. I can't write a book, right? Well, then three months later, I have this diagnosis and I'm laying and I'm speaking to spirit. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And I hear your story is your medicine. It's time to write your story. And that's how I decided to do it. I needed 
I knew that I needed something to do during the chemotherapy that would be healthful and helpful. So the first manuscript was purely for me. I wrote mm -hmm. it just for me. Yeah. And that book was titled The Healing of a Healer. And it was such a catharsis. I was shocked, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. Like you say, layers and layers. I mean, I had done this, right? Yeah, yeah. Years, money, data, and the stuff just poured out of me. And then when I got to the end of it, and I was pretty much done with chemo, I sat back and I went, you know what? This can help other people. Yeah. I, I have to write it a little differently, mm -hmm. but I really took the, the main thrust of everything I wrote and then just added in the reader-directed inquiries and the, kind of the teaching tools into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and you and your husband is also involved in the, in the School of Healing that mm -hmm. you started? Yeah. Ruka? Well, he, yeah, he's the president. And, <laughs> and, how did, and, and when, when did you guys start yeah. that project? So that was born in about 2008 or nine, And that came because... Uh, two reasons. Um, first of all, I was teaching at a pretty prestigious school, uh, nationwide, international school. Um, but I was sick of getting on an airplane mm -hmm. <laughs> and traveling and teaching and going back and forth. And I also had a lot of um, my own wisdoms that I wanted to teach. So I was like, I no, I don't want to get on an airplane. Yeah. And then I had a lot of students that I had that I was teaching um, just in my, you know, basement mm -hmm. uh, about beliefs and, and spiritual development and conscious living. And it was really them who said, you know, can't you teach just healing stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I think I could do that. Yeah. And so I opened the school, and the school really has evolved as I've evolved. The school is much less now about any particular technique because that's not what I've learned is the healing. Yeah. So the school has really evolved into um, being able to help people with their spiritual awakening and mm -hmm. their spiritual maturation and as I call it, living a soul embodied. And then we learn how to transfer that to another person. And is, do you find it's it's difficult sometimes to, I mean, as, as we were talking earlier about bringing the idea of spirit in, or, you know, something like that into the idea of medicine is, is a real hard one for Westerners. Do you, do you find any difficulty also with, with different cultural backgrounds and belief systems as it relates to God? <clears throat> yeah. How do you, how do you, yeah. how, how do you well, deal with that? Yeah. So Jeremy, um, I've resigned myself to the fact that not everybody will be able to do this because mm -hmm. if your belief system says, <clears throat> um, only Jesus can heal. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm not going to change that in you, right? So only the people, right, who who are going to believe in this are going to come to it. Um, it's interesting because I do an invocation and a prayer, and I teach my students this, right? 
And so every year when, when a new cohort starts, the class gets just super fidgety and they go, but, but what if I have a client and that's not what their belief system is, <laughs> right, right. right? Yeah. And they go, well, maybe you're not the right practitioner. <laughs> and that's, and that's difficult. But why is it difficult? I mean, it's, it's difficult for some people. I, I, I had a teacher one time who said to us, um, started out the, the, with the course, it was, it was in, involved in craniosacral training and, and, but more advanced stuff. And he said, so I want you guys all to, to, you know, recognize the fact that doing the work that you're doing, you have codependency issues. Which I thought, yeah, yeah, right. which which I thought was kind of a great way to say that you 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 kind of need to be involved in this work to be you and, and you need to be you need to have somebody else on your table to be doing craniosacral therapy. Hello, right? You need a client. Oh, I but, see. But but in terms of but in terms of the work that you need to do, I I find to to do the work, you have to you have to be doing your own personal work. There has there has to be that that tapping into something that is. You know, you, you, you describe it in, in different ways in the, in the book, whether it's, you know, the divine God, you know, it's, it's, it's the source. Yeah. It's, it's sort of up to you to sort of define that, but, but you have to make a decision on how you're defining that, I think. Yeah. Well, I think the important thing, Jeremy, that you just said is um, as a practitioner, you have to be doing your work. And if you're not doing your work, as far as I know, you're not the best practitioner you can be, right? Right, And you're doing a disservice to your client. And there's lots of holistic things out there, Jeremy, right? Mm -hmm. Where people don't do their personal work. And that's why Ruha focuses on that. But let me say something about bringing it into medicine. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to push against you a little bit here. Because I'm been a nurse for 35 years, right? Mm-hmm. And um, work with a lot of doctors, nurses, a lot of people. And what I find today, it's 2017, mm-hmm. is that many allopathic doctors are willing to entertain this idea of holistic medicine. Yeah. They don't understand it, but they most doctors that I know anyway are willing to say, well, I don't understand that, but tell me or teach me or yeah, sure. Really, Jeremy, I see way more hostile uh, bias on the other I side. I actually agree, which Thank is, which, which is interesting yeah. because working with this, this friend of mine for a couple of years, who's a doctor, um, he was down at Mayo for a while and he was, he was, um, they were they were out they were out for at a dinner for somebody who was a, a colleague who was leaving the the clinic, and he started talking about his working with me and about craniosacral therapy and like five of the people at the table said, "Oh, I love craniosacral therapy." No, see, yeah, <laughs> and, and, you, and yeah. You, you just wouldn't expect that. Well, you don't, but see, limiting belief, right? right? Exactly. Okay, and I think things are changing I, now. I think it's so too. been around a lot. I know that in. That the medical students that are coming out of, you know, residency and medical school now have courses about um, the power of touch and vulnerability Mm -hmm. and belief that, no, it wasn't a part of a physician's curriculum 30 or 40 or 50 years. And it wasn't a part of a physician's curriculum a thousand years ago either. 
you know? So, um, so we're evolving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're evolving. Yeah. And and I, I expect it to, to continue to go that way to some extent. And I, I, I felt like one of the things I wanted to kind of get into in, in the podcast was was to kind of deal with some of these biases from from both sides. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I my my daughter wouldn't be alive were it not for Western medicine because she had she had meningitis when she Amen. was twelve days old. Mm-hmm. You know, bacterial. Mm-hmm. So it, without antibiotics, we you know she wouldn't be around. So right. we, we 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 have to kind of figure out what our what our places are. And I and I do think that the dialogue between us all needs to improve. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm doing these conversations in the first place. Well, I think that's wonderful. And, you know, Ruka Academy has always promoted itself as an integrative um, school of healing because I'm, I'm the owner and I've had three organ transplants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So before you dis medicine in front of me, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. I find that most people who are casting aspersions at every medicine and every this and that haven't ever had the need to have that part of their life. You know, I got in a deep conversation with somebody who said, um, there's no reason to have fentanyl even on the earth. I said, really? <laughs> Fentanyl, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's getting a lot of bad press. But, um, you know, go in and try having, you know, a pacemaker inserted or, or anything <laughs> right. else without some conscious sedation. There's a place for fentanyl. It's not in the streets, no. But that hundred, hundred thinking, I call it. Hundred, hundred, yeah. right? It's either bad or it's good. Well, most all things are paradoxical. Yeah. What, what's the makeup of your, of the people taking your curriculum? Oh, uh, doctors, nurses, surgeon, uh, psychiatrists, uh, so, um, uh, psychotherapists, um, daycare workers. Mm. The thing is, is that, you know, the curriculum is designed so that people can have a private practice if they want to. But you know, Jeremy, like you said, we're all healers. So the content of what I'm teaching about limiting beliefs and, you know, how, how do I, how do I be myself, um, and tolerate the consequences of me, right? Right. Um, you can be a healer, right? In your family, in your neighborhood, as a barber, whatever, whatever. I mean, it's transformational, right? Yeah. And, and it's, and I think one, you, you talked about this a little bit in your, in your book about that, that idea of sort of, you know, being your, your most true self of being able to express that part and that, and, and I, and I've just from, from, 20 years of doing this work, I, I think I've seen people who, you know, either, either are limited by their own fears of that, of that expression yeah, or in, in some way have basically gotten themselves into a place that starts to affect their, their emotional body and their spirit, which I think it, it eventually starts to get into our physical selves as well. Oh, of course it does. Right. And, I and, mean, yeah. and, and so I, I imagine that you guys are, are kind of working in that realm to some extent, right? I mean, this is absolutely a, a, a realm of teaching that doesn't always quite, you know, we, we may, we may skim over it in, in medical school or even in integrative health training for that matter. But, but to be able to actually spend some time with that and do that self-work is, is what I feel like a lot of people need to do. It sounds kind of like that's where you guys are in. Right. And it's where my practice is, you know, I still have a private practice, you know, um, 
I see clients individually, but it, 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 I think, and what happens to Jeremy is that we become so confused, right, about what's appropriate and what isn't, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, so the school is about having appropriate emotions to the situation. Yeah. It's appropriate to be sad and afraid and angry sometimes yeah. versus a lot of times, you know, these spiritual people on the spiritual path. Oh, kumbaya, satnam, love and bliss all the time. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm there I'm, with you. Right, right. Okay. So it's appropriate emotions, appropriate thought processes, appropriate relationships, appropriate ideas and desires. It's about appropriateness. And I think the other thing is like when I'm lecturing to um, medical communities, the physicians want a way to get into the spiritual aspect of a patient's care, but they don't know how. Mm. And they're afraid of crossing this politically correct line, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're a culture, uh, we're a melting pot. Right. So then they'll 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 get afraid the doctors will of confusing dogma with belief, meaning our thinking, right? Yeah. And our faith. This is one of the things I hit a lot on in the book is yeah. having faith and having faith in our faith. So part of my work is to teach doctors, well, here's a way in that won't get you sued or fired. Yeah. And, and I think you actually hit on something really, I, I liked this distinction you made between spirit and the soul. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm so psychic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I just, you know, um, a lot of study, okay? A lot of study, a lot of thinking, a lot of pondering, a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. So the... And people get that confused, I think, a lot. The soul and the spirit. And they yeah, use so, 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 so I think for anyone listening, this yeah. is a very interesting distinction. So how, how do you describe the soul? Yeah. Uh, so the soul is the truth of who we are that continues forever and ever and ever and into eternity it's the essence of god that is uniquely me or you right that's right. your soul the spirit i believe is the fuel that, that energy, energetic part that energetic part that ignites the soul so the soul i believe is always there People say, I lost my soul. <clears throat> no, I think the soul is there. I think what you're saying is you've lost your spirit. It's been deflated in some way. Yes, it? because the spirit has been affected. Yeah. So I think the spirit can be transitory and be more robust or less, but the soul is always there. Yeah, and, and, you, and I see this in people who have either been through an incredible amount of trauma in their life, uh, a lot of a lot of physical, you know, I, I I could sort of see that throughout the course of your your telling your story, it was a lot of up and down. I mean, it's just you know, and and some of that is that that energetic depletion that must go on at different steps of the way 
the soul is still there. We're, mm-hmm. you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're still following that thread throughout, but that, but that energetic part kind of goes right. up and down. And it was, it's a really nice way, at least for me to. <laughs> sort of be, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it helped me too. Yeah, See, good. that's part of my, that's part of my mission all the time. I'm like, how do I, I gotta put this in a really clear way. I, right. I like clarity for myself, you know? And so, I can remember, you know, way back when I was in Texas and it was all bad. Uh, I just said the other night, it was horrible to epic proportion, only worse. Yeah. I, I, th- I think you said it really well and that it was like, what, 15 months or something you were there, right? Yeah. What did it was I like say? The, 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 the worst, you referred to it as the decade, the, some, something about it being a decade or something. The 15 months, the, the decade of 15 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something, it, I was uh, very clever with it. I can't remember exactly. But I'm sure, I mean, it must have been just, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's, it was epic. It's not describable. It just yeah. isn't. You have to do it to even feel it. And at that point, I remember at that time in my consciousness too, thinking, you know, um, you know, where's my soul? But it was my spirit was deflated. My spirit that there was no, there was nothing left. Yeah. You know, and I had to rejuvenate my spirit. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you um, when I'm I'm guessing that you guys deal a lot with with intuition and mm-hmm. in, in your, in your work, can you say anything about the development of that, that sure. piece? Because I feel like it's a, it's a huge part of it's, it's, it's a, it's a piece that's lacking in our culture where we we're, we're looking for answers. We're searching the internet, looking for all these different things, thinking we're going to find something or different TV shows or the celebrities <laughs> or whatever it is. Searching outward yeah, for searching what comes outward. from inward, right, I right. call it. Yes, yeah. exactly. So there are specific exercises that I teach people that I won't you know, review here because yeah. they're detailed. Can, can, can but, you give us one example of something then? Well, let me just say this. Let me say this first. So when I'm getting people ready to understand this, I demonstrate to people how in this culture we're predilected toward our reason. Yeah. And um, as as energy bodies, there's three functions in us, and it correlates to the brain. And again, I won't give the whole lecture. Right, yeah. But um, we are reason-oriented, we are will-oriented, and we're emotionally-oriented. Everybody is. Mm-hmm. And we lean toward one way or the other. And in this culture, we lean a lot towards the thinking and the rational place, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get right down to it, and I ask people, they always will come to the understanding that the most critical decisions are generally made because they had a feeling about it. Yeah. So I go, oh, really a feeling, (laughs) right? So um, we get into that whole, you know, um, sensing and feeling. So one of the the exercises that we start with is just to show people that they can intuit. Have you ever heard of psychometry? Yeah. Yes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we start with psychometry. So we pair up, and for your listeners who don't know, you pair up, and you exchange an item that's personal to you. You know, okay, Mm -hmm. not the pen you just picked up in the lobby, but I don't know, a ring or or a wallet. I don't know, anything that's personal to you. And um, you just start, you just start, and I just tell people, 
just say whatever is coming to your mind as you hold this object. Mm -hmm. You know, and I ask them questions. Is it hot or is it cold? Is it fun or is it sad? Is it, and I give them these choices and they jot this stuff down. And guess what? They know. They know really often. And I say, where did you get that from? And they go, I don't know. It just felt right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I'm teaching people intuition, the key is you go in and you go out. You don't linger because then you start thinking. You say the first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I, I in, in, as you can imagine, doing, doing subtle work in oh. cranial, in craniosacral work where we have to be able to feel the subtleness of the cerebrospinal fluid movement. And this, to a lot of people, this sounds like crazy talk that mm. we can sense something so subtle. But that the body has, as as you know, there there's there's kind of a rhythmic nature to the way everything moves, and the fact that we have this cerebrospinal fluid saline tide moving back and forth within our system, to me only makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but but to trust what you actually feel with trust. your hands and 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 start and start to you know start from that place of. Of, of not thinking so much, but actually feeling and being in that that place that it just feels this way. Eventually, it starts to kind of link up with reason on some level too. Absolutely, <clears throat> I get a I get the knowing, and I and I go, oh, I why do I know this? And then I all of a sudden the the rationale comes in. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And I think you said an important thing, Jeremy, and that is. Um, the trust piece and the only way you develop trust in your intuition is to have validation over mm -hmm, and over again. Mm -hmm. And that's just the plain fact. It's true. Right. Yeah. The more you go, Oh, I, <laughs> I was accurate. Yeah. Um, the more you understand that you can trust it and we're not always right. And yeah. you know, but neither is medicine. Yeah. And I think that's why Dr. Epplager was so big into, who, who kind of coined the term yeah. craniosacral was, was so into kind of expanding this osteopathic model, <clears throat> excuse me, into starting to dialogue so that on some level we can verify the change that we feel in the body. There are times when, when you sense someone go a little bit deeper level, that's probably an emotional response. There's an energetic shift that goes on. You can feel it in the fluid. So eventually you start to pick up on all these pieces kind of working together. All these little <clears throat> cues, <throat> right? Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that, that's what I'm doing yeah. too in my yeah. work. Yeah. I think too, the, the, a thing that's important with health, when we're talking about health, Jeremy and the cellness is part, that's why I teach the way I do. Cause it's, I, I, I have a course called living with consciousness. Because part of what we have to do is develop consciousness about what's happening around us. Do you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. We get really um, distracted today. And this is why for me, blindness is a luxury. Because mm -hmm. I'm not distracted. I asked somebody today, recently I said, what do you think I'd be most surprised at, having not seen since 1985? And across the board, everybody says, all of the graphics and the advertising. And mm -hmm. then they told me that like pictures of Coca-Cola are superimposed at intersections on the pavement and on the <laughs> gas handles. I'm like, yeah. what? You know, right? So we're bombarded with all this information. But in health and in the work we're talking about here, it's like being able to slow down, be quiet, 
turn off all that external stimulation yeah. and listen, 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 feel, feel, sense, right? Yeah. Do you work with your eyes closed or open or both? Both. I, yeah. I, I mean, they, they kind of, uh, in, in my training, too many people were starting to work with their eyes closed uh -huh. to, to, to a point where that if you can see subtle changes, yes, like they in, were missing in, it in, in breathing, or you know their eyes open up, or you know th those could be those could be cues. But I tend to start with my eyes closed, and I can I almost kind of work with a half eye open mm -hmm. thing now, where I'm I'm you know I, I have to kind of stay in that, and it, it's a type of meditative awareness where I I I have to stay tuned into everything that's going on in the body and kind of shut my brain down in terms the of the, 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 yeah. the reason part of my brain mm -hmm. and just be in an awareness of everything that's going on with this person and in a way kind of shut myself out. That's, <laughs> Which, but that's important, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know with like the eyes closed thing, it all depends on why, like when I have a student, it all depends on why, why their eyes are closed. So I have yeah, some people, yeah. right. Who have a difficult time staying in the physical reality and they, so these people, when they close their eyes, it's like, mm -mm, no, you know, because they're going to leave yeah. and you I, need to be present. Yeah, I, I find that I, it was at, I had a teacher and when I was I, I ended up going to massage school as part of my education to deal with my back. <laughs> and one of the Don't things you love, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. And what and I, I just I hit this this kind of sweet spot where all these teachers had come in from a, another place. They were part of the school and, and there was almost a one to one student ratio. So at one point I was just learning something new from somebody all the time. Mm -hmm. And one teacher in particular sort of picked up on the fact that I could pick up very subtle things with my hands. Ah. And it, it I mean, it was a, a gift I didn't really understand yet. I think, um, but it, but it was something that I also felt completely natural and comfortable to me. Right. So when she kind of suggested that I take this, she was going to take a. There was a traveling workshop that Upledger was going to be in town, and there were different level courses going on. So I went to take the the level one course, and I have to say that I was a little bit thrown off by the ungroundedness of the class there you go when, when i when i first got there mm. i i felt i could feel the that some people couldn't stay with themselves yeah. and it took me about maybe three days in the class to not feel like i was the freak <laughs> i know right but see you see i've learned that when you feel like you're crazy you're with crazy people see when you know you, you go am i crazy you go no 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 i'm just with crazy people yeah, right, yeah. And, and i don't mean to say that they're crazy but no. that's part of my important work in the school and with my clients is like figuring out okay why are you not grounded yeah why do you want to leave the physical because yeah. there's a whole story there yeah, too yeah, right yeah, sure. there's a whole story there defense and coping strategies and stuff like that yeah yeah and and you you kind of got into this too with the with the book about uh, the, the the difference between the anglo-saxon uh, definition of health and what yeah. we've sort of chosen as as western anglo-saxon anglo meaning being whole mm. and that halen yeah and halen the word halen. comes from halen uh, yeah and and that you know i, th I think you know, we we have a hard time sort of understanding what that wholeness looks like. We can we can have disease, and and still be healed in a in a whole whole way where we can we can live in that in that whole that whole being, in yeah. in our time. And I, I, I that was I think that's another very important thing for people to sort of understand. Right, and I and I understand. I I speak about this in the book too. 
where initially nothing short of a cure is going to be right exactly yeah and that's part of a normal healing process Mm -hmm. of course i want a cure of course I want to see. Of course, you know, I mean, that... And, and, and we want an end to fear and sadness yes. and all these things. And pain and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the medical, traditional medical field, and again, I think it's changing, but, you know, many people think it's, as I say, absence of disease, um, you know, is health. Um, but what about like I said, an appropriate relationship, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, what about, um, appropriate thought processes, you know? Um, and when we can, when we have all that, the disease entity piece itself shifts in a very profound way. That's really real. And again, I get that people want it to just go away. You know. Yeah. And that that the the acceptance of self part of this, that that relationship, is for me is the thing that I'm always kind of thinking about as primary. Mm. Because I feel like without and and everything is a relationship. <laughs> but <laughs> that, this is all we have. Right. Right. Excellent, Jeremy. Oh, I'm so happy to know that you know this. <laughs> no, it makes me so happy to really because that's how we have is relationship relationship to myself relationship to others and all sentient beings right yeah and relationship to a divine entity and then okay so give me something else right. what else is yeah. there yeah. nothing right. right i mean but even even how even how we relate to our physical world our physical you know needs are that's the, what i mean the, the things that we <laughs> desire they're, they're all part of this relationship but it, it, you know, being able to kind of hold that for someone and, and allow them to kind of, I think, be in that place where they, that were, you know, and this is one of the things that I feel like I do with, I'm sure you're very similar in this respect, is that this is why I struggle with the idea of myself being a healer or calling myself a healer. If you want to call me a healer, that's another, that's another thing. I, I'm a healer in that I'm, I'm working on healing myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I I feel that I'm 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 some I'm really there as more of a guide and I'm holding space for for people to do their their healing work right. and and how 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 well I sort of function as a healer if that's what you want to call me is how well I'm able to hold that space exactly. you know, and, and guide that process right because you can be there doing everything you possibly can do but if the individual isn't ready it's not going to happen yeah. it'll create the space and you know. Oh, you said something so important, Jeremy, about, uh, oh, I know what it is. Um, So I teach my students, and I think this is true, and maybe it's true for you, I don't know. But, you know, my healer walks through the door every day Mm. as my client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Every day, somebody sits down in front of me, and I'm challenged by something, or I'm... I've got transference or or this or that or 150 other things. Yeah, my healer yeah. walks through the door every day in the form of my client. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And, Thank and, you very much. Yeah. And it's the, it's the it's the beauty of our codependent relationship That's that we it. get to, that we oh. get to, that we get to have this too. You know, I, I I don't think it's a good or bad thing necessarily. I just think you know it is it is one of the things that we are so drawn to in in that in that respect. 
And, mm-hmm. and, and I, and if I look back and I'm sure, you know, I, I feel like you were exploring this to some extent. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking things from your book, but, I, but, I, but I, there was so much that I related to in terms of, uh, in terms of exploring, kind of going back into your younger self and being able to see, you know, where, where did what, this come what, from? What, yeah. What are, what are the threads here from, from going back to, you know, some, the, the child, the child part of me, which is, you know, we're, we're still relating to it. There's a relationship there too. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not about, uh, finding blame. Mm-hmm. It's about finding reasons for why I am the way I am and why have I separated from the truth of who I am. And we can always find that yeah. early on. You know, um, when I first read Barbara Brennan's book, Hands of Light, um, I wrote on the front cover and in it, there, there was another a student or a teacher at the school, I can't remember, it was his idea. But it said... Um, the purpose of this material is to help me love myself more. And we talk a lot about this is not who I am, but who I thought I had to be in order to stay safe. Mm, And that just holds so much truth for me, right? Because we can get into this negative self-talk or this belief, Mm -hmm. right? And then we go, well, I'm that you know that's just how i am i mean i've heard this so many times well that's just how i am no it's not how you are right right you are god and love only you know but this is who you thought you had to be in order to stay safe and what does that mean safe that means being loved and approved of yeah. period yeah and that and you kind of you kind of talk about it a little bit i remember at some point where you're, you're talking about that our, without being distorted by our ego and probably all these other things, we are just unconditional love, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that, and that, that, that becomes distorted through, you know, many different channels and functions in our life that whether it's, you know, something somebody else wants us to be, or we think somebody else wants mm-hmm. us to be, mm-hmm. or something we think we need to be, mm-hmm. whatever it is, right. they, they, they keep shifting. And it happens so innocently, right. Jeremy, you know, I mean, one of our One of our most pervasive wounds on the earth that I think where we separate is this um, feeling of abandonment or not being good enough. And I mean, if you took a poll, right? I mean, everybody would raise their hand going, are you good enough? No, you know, and it starts so innocently and it starts very, very early. And it it has to do with the child sees the mother as God. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the child is looking at the mother as God, and you know, you're you've had children. Well, and, I, yeah, I, was, I have a story to tell you after. You're okay, <laughs> so so you're bottle feeding your kids, right? Yeah. Or you're you're not breastfeeding, but you know, you're bottle feeding or mother. And where is the child looking when you're feeding the baby? Right in your eyeballs. Into your eyes, yeah. Yeah, they're not like looking over to the side. They're staring right, yeah. and they're drinking in. They're drinking in. Inside of their consciousness, they're going, reflect me, reflect who am I, right? Mm-hmm. But mom or dad have two or three other kids, right? Right, right. And we're like, good. Don't put your hands in the toilet, you know, wait, you know, right? And we're stirring the pot and we're doing a ton of other things, right? And so the internal message to the child is, I'm not good enough. It's what Mm. they feel. 
Yeah. Now, nobody's abandoning them and leaving them cry in the crib, but bam, it's done. It's already happened. It's over. Yeah. And there you have it. And, and you have these multiple little things that we probably continue to process throughout our adult years that are, you know, we, we can only do our best as parents. To sort of be, we're be born to imperfect in people. Yeah, yeah, we're born to people who are imperfect. And that's the total yeah, truth right. of it. Yep. And yep. To, to what you were saying earlier, too, the, the thing that struck me was, um, so oh, yeah. our, our son is about six feet tall now. And oh. he he's 14. He he just a couple of weeks ago, my wife was telling me that he said he said to her she, because he's now you know a few inches taller than mom that I'm not afraid of you anymore, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't react at all. But it, oh, but, didn't she? No, she she. Oh, that's she, hilarious. She, and, and I she, love her reaction. Yeah. And she she just told me later, she, you know, that she got it that. That it's like you were saying, we we are gods to them. You yeah, know? and I, and I've been very aware. You you know, even when he was smaller, I've been aware of. Uh, I'm over six feet tall. That I'm that I'm. I must seem so large to right? them as, as children, and 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 just a giant, a giant, powerful being that you yeah. know that that they ad- admire and look up to. But that I'm sure on some level they fear too. Well, of course, <clears> because <throat> we fear the revocation of love. Because to us, it's like that. As children, that love is what we believe is keeping us alive. Mm-hmm. You know, my God, yeah. if they don't love me, then, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I will. And then that, you know, when we don't heal that, when we don't heal that, we come into adulthood thinking, I must be loved by all people. Mm. Right. So that's another hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah another hole. Hmm. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. That's a deep one. Yeah, it is deep. Yeah. So I think, you know, health is complicated. And I think the biggest message that I would love your listeners to get is that everything has a place and a purpose. Antibiotics, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, um, craniosacral, energy work, homeopathy. It, you know, why have to say either or? that's why I like the term integrative, you know, let's have both. And, and, um, don't be afraid of medicine. You know, I, I know people who are afraid to take an Advil. I'm like, what do you think is going to happen with an Advil? Oh, you know, the, the, you know, the liver. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's the kidney, (laughs) you know, (laughs) they always are worried. Okay. But let's just take any pill. Oh, my liver. liver." They're they're, they're not afraid to drink, you know, four glasses of wine, but they're afraid of that Advil. But they're afraid of the Advil. (laughs) And I'm like, but you know, your liver is supposed to detox. That is what it's for. You know, Mm -hmm. it can detoxify medicine. Really? It can, you know, does it have a limit? Sure. It has a limit on alcohol too. Right. right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, and, and I, I, you know, I, I feel the same way. I've always been more of an and person and, and with, with these things though, I think also don't be, you know, if you have, if you don't have the best experience with the, if, if you're trying oh, something yeah. new, you know, it's, it's all about finding that relationship, just like you try to find friendships, you know, you, it's, yep. you have to, you have to kind of do the work of, of trying, trying different things out, trying different people out, getting some sense. I mean, everyone's going to sort of approach you in this relationship in different ways, and you, you and I were introduced by someone who we both just have a good relationship right. with. Right, <laughs> right. We click. We work together, right? right? And, yeah. So, and, so it made sense that you and I would probably have the same experience. Right, exactly. And, you know, I do this. When I take on a new client, I do a 15-minute free consultation over the phone mm-hmm. because I want to know 
if we're going to jive. I, I do the same. Great, right? Because I, I'm not going to be of service, right? If I if I don't jive with the person, me, it's certainly not going to work. The other person might think I'm just fine, you know, yeah. right? Yeah. But I, I've turned on clients saying, I, I just don't think I'm the right person for you. And that's all I say. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I have a, sometimes I have a lead, you know, sometimes I just have a, have a real sense of what, what I think would work better for them. And that's part of it. And sometimes I can just, I can just tell sort of where they're at in their process. I, I might not be the best person for them, you know, whether it's, whether it's that it's something beyond my scope yeah. or, or something that's just, I, I don't have a lot of familiar, uh, f- familiarity with it, but I might know somebody who actually really does. Sure. Referring on is important. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, managing the client's expectations, right? Yeah, right? yeah. So I always on my intake say, you know, what do you hope to gain from our time together? And if they go, you know, I'm going to be healed of everything. You know, I had a client, somebody, it wasn't my client. It was somebody who, she wrote me and she said, um, I want to come in and I want you to do a scan and tell me what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I laugh. It's always the scan. I'm like, okay, uh, that's not how I work, you know. So I know this isn't going to work. She's yeah. not going to get what she wants. I mean, could I sit down and read her energy field? Sure, mm-hmm. but that's right. not how I work. I, I've, I've had a similar experience with, with that too. I mean, yeah. I, I had some very high profile person come in who I know they were being told over and over again things from someone yeah and about their result and she and she got you. yeah uh-huh. and and and, uh-huh. and I'd, I'd treated her about three times and and she said to me the third time at the end of the session so what do you think <laughs> and i feel your pain yeah yeah <laughs> and and you know I, I kind of explained to her that you know this part of part of this process and this work is for her to kind of start start working on the stuff that she's getting yes. know, through 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 the work and I and I said and I so I turned it and I said what do you what think? What do you think? Yeah, darn straight. And and you know I've had people who've who've pushed me in that way and I I I know that if you if you start to give people you know their answers you also take away their power a hundred percent. So um, people will often say to me, I know you know the answer. Why don't you just tell me? And I go, because I want you to find the gold. It's going to be so much. If I say to you, Jeremy, man, you are really magnificent. You're not going to internalize that until you find that you're magnificent on your own. That'll that'll just be for my ego. Right. (laughs) And there'll probably be something inside of you going, yeah, well, she doesn't know that I, right? (laughs) Right, Boy, have I fooled her, right? (laughs) Right, because we're not always magnificent, yeah. right? We make mm-hmm. mistakes, so um, just managing that expectation of clients and really helping people to be empowered. So that they, I always say to people, if you have to see me for five years, you know, yeah. and the same thing, I'm not doing my job because I want to empower you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of think of it at a. In, in the beginning, I, I kind of think about it as more of a hand-holding process. You know, Absolutely. They, they, they may oh, be we're in that... so aligned, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. They, they may be in that place where, they're, where they are sort of energetically weak. Yeah, they're and, fragile um, initially. Yeah. And then, and then eventually, like very soon, I, I start to kind of get into really getting them to, to understand what their intention is being with me in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if they, and if, you know, if, if they can't answer that... Then that becomes, you know, one of the questions there. One of the things that we're really exploring is, you know, what what are, 
what what are we working on? You mm-hmm. know, I think I think that starting starting to kind of forward look a little bit more and start to build that um, visualization piece. Or you had some you had some great thing that you said in there about. When, when you were, when you were, I think it was maybe when you were in in Texas, you know, the, the rough period, where, where you sometimes you just have to come up with a purpose for the day, even if they're, oh, you know, like yeah, you kind of have to make it up sometimes just to, just to kind of get the ball rolling, and you know if, if if it's if it's somebody who has struggled with something physically and they they've always wanted to get back to, you know, cycling or something that that becomes you know, one goal and it, and it can right. be, it can be just something to focus on to kind of move things forward a little bit for right now. Yeah. 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 You remember what I did for the purpose of the day when I first lost my sight? No, I can't remember. Um, I did two things every single day. I took all the clothes out of my dresser, threw <laughs> them on my right. bed and yeah. I folded them again. Yeah. No, this is how bad it was. Yeah. I was so isolated and I couldn't do anything because I was losing my sight and I didn't know how to be a blind person yet. So I folded and refolded and the clothing and the, and the, and then I put, um, pennies and nickels and quarters into rolls. Oh yeah. Got them all done and emptied them out and started over again. Uh huh. But you know what, Jeremy, uh, it kept me from going insane. Right. It kept me from, um, chewing off my arm from the isolation and the just the illness and the weakness you know and that's but I started you know yeah. I, I I started and then it you know I went on from there but I had to do something I had to get off the couch yeah yeah for sure yeah and that's and that's a that's a thing that I think a lot of people are are, are hitting at a certain point when a, a real struggle comes is just starting with with step one it's that's that step one is is always the important step and, and most important step it, it, is oh, step one yeah, yeah. and and, and I, I think we serve as as part of the the guides through that through that time period a lot of times for people mm-hmm. and i think we are and just in 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 healthcare in general those like i said you know with with my experience it's the the I, I haven't been someone who's had a tendency towards depression, but when you when you hit those those points where your deflated energy period, it's really hard to think. Okay, what's the first? What's that first Isn't step it? look like? Yeah, because I find that people are looking way too far down yeah. the road. Yeah, you know how cycling again. Yeah. you know I have no idea how to do that. When I right, right, okay, but. Can you put quarters in a roll? You know, yeah, I mean, really, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's sometimes it, it's it's something. Yep. And eventually, you end up a lot, you know, down the road. Yeah, it's hard for people to accept that that's the limit that they have, though. But once I find that once they take a first step, most people want to keep going. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's just that little that little bit of momentum. I think we sometimes, you know. This idea that you were talking about before about the cure, you know, you 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 think that you want everything to go away, and so it seems it it seems insurmountable when you when you first start. But really, if you looked at what your day would look like if you felt ten percent better than you feel today, right? That right. might that that little momentum, you know, you add another five percent a week from now, and mm-hmm. suddenly you start to kind of 
it's, it's like the light changes a little bit in your, in your life. You kind of, you, you, the way you perceive things mm-hmm. opens up just a little bit more and you might see something that you didn't see before that actually gives you right. something else. And it, it, a lot of times I find it just doesn't take very long. It can be, can be a matter of a couple of weeks with, with somebody if they mm-hmm. can really kind of just focus on, on the rules of quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Focus on the rules of course. That's a great little catchphrase. You know, and this is how medicine works too, really. You know, they have, and, and this is how nursing care works. You have a long-term goal, mm-hmm. and then you have your interventions and your short-term goals about how you're going to get there. Yeah. And so it's it's a great parallel yeah, as, as we're talking right. about integration. This is how medicine works. Um, you know, we slowly, slowly you yeah. know, get to the big goal. Yeah. What is the, what is what do you think the big goal is for 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 most people when you're working with them? Do, they, do you do you think it's you 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 have a few things that you kind of lock into with the, in, in the book? Yeah, I think that most people start with me, um, with wanting resolution of whatever their symptom yeah. is, and very quickly, people understand that their biggest healing is going to be their self-healing and this way they've separated themselves from source. It happens every time for me anyway, Jeremy, you know, and that, that solves so much pain and suffering. And the other thing it gives people is resolve to be able to, I mean, so I have a student who went through the program. She's a healer. Um, She had to have her hip replaced. And she said to me once, she said, during the hip replacement, she said, Shelly, I never would have understood that figuring out how I've separated from God and source would help me deal with a hip replacement. But Mm -hmm. it does. Mm -hmm. Because she said, in the past, I would have, whined and complained about it but now I figured out why I whine and complain and I don't have to do that anymore or I would have thought this or I would have said this or I wouldn't have um, asked for the help I need because surely nobody wants to help me that's a limiting belief right do you see what I'm saying yeah, right yeah and because I, I mean I, I think for for people who are maybe more agnostic listening to this and may have trouble with the idea of God but maybe Maybe, maybe this, but, but they are, you know, people doing good work in the world and who, who want to see, um, something, something more connected in, in, in life in general. I I think this, it, a lot of times it starts with this, this passion they have for that, that thing that they want to see improve. Mm -hmm. And it could be it, it. Sometimes it's it's external, as we were talking about earlier, yeah. and so they kind of they've yeah. lost they've lost that sense of the internal. And I, I think for you know for, to make it more tangible for someone who hasn't maybe had that sense of of whatever they want to call that that divinity the you know their their god that there's that it's it has to it has to kind of connect back to that that thing as as your student was right. saying you know that's that that is what's coming up from from the source that that can allow us to heal and right. and and make us feel you know like safe in that process even though there's pain and suffering so the human energy field is comprised of 
divine levels of the field and physical levels of the field. It's there. And so in my work, it's about helping people to understand. We're talking about agnosticism. Yeah. How did you get there? Mm. And I'm going to tell you, there's just about always an answer for how they got there, right? And we don't dive onto that immediately. Right. But we start with, you know, the teeny little tiny first step. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people are going, wow, I there was a half of me missing, and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. And, and the ego gets involved. So you know, 100%. We, we, we think about it as our own power, right? Yeah. And so... Then, then, but but that also means it's all our responsibility at the same time, and that's yeah. and I think that that's the, the where the, the fear comes in, and you know, then it's suddenly like, well, maybe I can't hold on to this for very long, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> well, and I think one thing that helped me a lot with the whole divine will or divine mind and all of that yeah, stuff, yeah. I used to think of divine will as something external to me. Mm, yeah some other thing because that's sort of the newtonian way of looking at stuff right when i understood that divine will is in my energy field that it's my not yours but my divine will um that shifted you know my divine authority shifted that whole idea of something external to me imposing its will upon me. Yeah, yeah. Because then you're powerless. Right. Or I'm a victim. Or you're a victim. Right? Or I'm captured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's a that's a huge cultural thing. Yeah. In, in general and, and, and in terms of even in, in terms of our of, of the medicine that, you know, I, I'm to back to your point about about what's going on in medicine and some of our biases. Some of those biases have come from the fact that we are we are looking for someone to mm-hmm. uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for. There's there's this this sense that we, we need someone to fix us. Yes, and, and so we we don't have any will in that in that equation. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Part of us wants somebody to fix us: the adult self or the child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. I, this is my <clears throat> child place. You know, somebody yeah. else has yeah. to help me. Yeah. Yeah, but but then when we you know think of the power. Yeah. When we can help once we can help ourselves. Yeah. And that's and that's what I mean. That's that's the way I tend to think of what what evolving is, is that you know that child self is is something that we can still connect back to. But if it's if it's ruling our decision making process mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. limiting us in, in in the way that we're kind of moving through the world, then then there's there's an, a process of a lack of evolution happening in our in our lives. I can say that most people, not everybody, I haven't interviewed the world. (laughs) Not quite. I'll get on it tomorrow. I'll finish. Um, But most of the people that I've worked with, Jeremy, who have an agnostic point of view, have had a very, very critical parent. Or they've had a parent that was 
not present. Somehow mm-hmm. there was a betrayal of the parent in a in a profound way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because they're equating the parent. Like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And the, and that therein lies the, the the power loss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really, really interesting, nice, nice time to get to spend with you. Oh, good. Thank and, you. And I and I really, I, I really loved your book, and I, I think it's something that, it's, it's. I, I, I like the fact that you, 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 being medical, sometimes we can get a little bit too caught up in our language. I feel yeah. like you, you really went through the process of some, some of what you went through, but keeping it simple enough that I think people can really connect to what you know, those things must, must have been like for you. But mm. I, I, like I said, I, I, I connected with so many things, uh, maybe, maybe on that more kind of soulful level, <laughs> the spiritual yeah. level of, of what, what that process must have been like. We can, we, 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 we can only kind of imagine what other people's, uh, experience has been, but I, yeah. I, 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 I think it's important. I mean, to, to share it, to, to be as vulnerable as you were in, in, in writing this. Mm. And I, I, I thank uh, you. Yeah. And thank you for seeing me that way. Thank yeah. you for recognizing that. Yeah. Uh, have we mentioned the book? Should we say it again? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Your story is your medicine, a prescription for healing in an imperfect world by Shelley Stanger Nelson. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put a link to it on the podcast as oh, well. Oh, thanks. So if, yeah. If people want to check it out. Um, you know, thanks for that feedback too. You know, as an educator, a nurse educator, I'm really used to, and a teacher, I'm really used to explaining things in a way that, um, like I like to break it down because I need that when yeah, I'm trying to yeah. learn something. So, you know, make little yeah. pieces that I can, okay, I understand that. And now I understand that. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. And eventually we get there. Um, yeah. So thanks. It's a complicated, you know, my, my medical history is very complicated. So I appreciate that you were yes. uh, able to chew it up and it's probably going to, it's it probably going to blow away the average reader, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> why do you say that's uh, it's you know i i think the, the 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 ups and downs and things that you've that you've been through uh, it's an inevitable that people are going to hear this and and listen to it and read it and, and think this is just beyond what i can imagine well it's funny because um at the last interview or the last public event i did i had a a little piece in the the talk and um um a girlfriend of mine a long time ago before half of what's even happened to me happened to me she was taking a creative writing class and she put me in the book and she described me as I truly am and the professor in the class said this is a completely unbelievable character this is you've gone way too much (laughs) embellishment nobody will ever believe it you know and it was just the truth yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah, well, you know, um, I like to say I'm in pretty good shape for the shape I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad to see that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Shelley. Yeah, you're welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for the chance. Wow. How's that for a conversation? I had a feeling it could go there, but it ended up going even deeper than I imagined. So grateful for the opportunity to spend time with Shelley in this way. And I can't recommend her book enough. I'm getting so much from these podcasts so far, and I hope you are too. 
Um, aiming for quality over quantity. I know it's been a little while since I put anything out, and last year we, we had a little over one a month, but uh, we're hoping to, to push things forward a little bit more this second year as we are also building the Highway to Health uh, blog and website. It's going to be a pretty amazing resource uh, site where you can search topics uh, from lots of different people around the world of health, some of them guests, some of them people I know who are just um, writing very thought-provoking things as it relates to who we are as individuals living together on this planet and about our relationship to each other and how it relates to our, our daily well-being. Uh, you can go to our Patreon page if you'd like to contribute. It's patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Looking forward to spending a little more time with you this year and uh, looking forward to the spring weather. The light's starting to change. It's lovely. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App, and that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.